All right, well, open your Bibles to John chapter 8. We're going to be going through John chapter 8 today. However, you'll see that John chapter 8 begins with the word but, which indicates that there is a continuation of a thought or a teaching. So before we jump into John chapter 8, let's go back and uh, begin reading from John chapter 7, verse 37. We'll read our way right into chapter 8 and uh, Lord willing, we'll try and get through the first 32 verses of chapter 8 today. Just as a reminder for you, we've been studying how Jesus was in Jerusalem attending the Feast of Tabernacles and it had come down to the last day of the feast and verse 37 says, that on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit who, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. And last time, we spent a little bit of time studying about the Holy Spirit, and we looked at some scriptures that talk about how the Holy Spirit is with us, in us, and comes upon us. And if you uh, didn't listen to that teaching, I encourage you to go back and listen to the last teaching that we did there. But verse 40 continues on here. Therefore, many from the crowd, when they heard this saying said, truly, this is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, will the Christ come out of Galilee? Has not the scriptures said that the Christ comes from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem where David was? So there was a division among the people because of him. Now some of them wanted to take him, but no one laid hands on him. Then the officers came to the chief priests and the Pharisees, who said to them, Why have you not brought him? The officers said, No man has ever spoke like this man. Then the Pharisees answered, Are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does, that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who he who came to Jesus by night, being one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man before it hears him and, and knows what he is doing? They said, or they answered, excuse me, and said to him, Are you also from Galilee? Search and look, for no prophet has arisen out of Galilee. And everyone went to his own house. Verse 1 of chapter 8, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. So, we see that chapter 7 ends with everyone returning to their own house, but here we see that Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now, let's just briefly turn to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9 is in the New Testament. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So right before the Gospel of John here, you'll find Luke and turn to John chapter 9. And uh, we're going to look at verses 57 through 58. Okay? 
It says, Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to them, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So in John chapter 7, they all went home, but Jesus, we see, had no home to go to. So he went to a spot where he would often go on the Mount of Olives. That seemed to be his place of refuge. The disciples knew it. As a matter of fact, when Jesus was betrayed by Judas, Judas knew right where to tell the rulers to find him, and he led them to that spot. Once Jesus had uh, grown and come into his earthly ministry, he didn't set up a permanent place of residence. He truly was just passing through at that point, and his time here was very, very short. He was now about the Father's business, and he has made it so that we too have another home, an eternal home that is not of this world. And turning back now to John chapter 8, in verse 2, it says, Now, early in the morning, he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery, and when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in adultery, in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? So, after Jesus had spent another night on the Mount of Olives, we see that he wakes up, he goes back to the temple to teach again. In this chapter, and throughout the whole Gospel of John, for that matter, we'll see that Jesus is full of of grace and compassion. And he is simply loving on these people that he was teaching. But the religious folks were still out to get him. And they were now trying to trap him into saying or doing the wrong thing, or at least the wrong thing according to their rules. How do we know that this is what they were doing? Well, verse 6 tells us so. Look there, it says, This they said, testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down, and he wrote on the ground with his finger, as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Now, there's been much discussion over the years about what it was that Jesus wrote on, on the ground here, but the Bible does not tell us what it is that Jesus wrote here, nor do we really know if any of them that were there read what he wrote, but there is something interesting in Old Testament Scripture that I'm sure that each one of these scribes and Pharisees had to have known. Turn, if you will, to Jeremiah chapter 17. Jeremiah is in the Old Testament. It's right after the book of Isaiah, and it's right before the book of Lamentations. 
So Jeremiah chapter 17. And uh, we're going to look at verse 13. It says, O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be ashamed. Those who depart from me shall be written in the earth because they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living waters. Wow. Do you remember we saw in chapter 7 how Jesus said that those that believe in him would have rivers of living water flowing out of them? He is the fountain of living water. And here, Jeremiah prophetically speaks that all who forsake Jesus shall be ashamed and their names would be written in the earth. Could it be here in chapter 8 of John that this prophecy was now being fulfilled? Could it be that the Lord wrote in the earth the names of those that were there holding those stones? We really don't know. But these guys were definitely a bunch of hypocrites. If this woman was caught in the very act of adultery, then why didn't they bring the man along too? In essence, in John chapter 8, Jesus said in verse 7, Go ahead, stoner, if you think you're worthy to do it, then do it. Then in verse 9, it says, Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last, and Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. You know, there was only one sinless man in the presence of that woman that day, and that was Jesus himself. And Jesus was the only one that could show this woman the true love that she needed at this time. Verse 10, when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. You know, when Jesus called her woman there in verse 10, do you know that that's the same word that he used back in John chapter 2 when he said to his mother, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? So Jesus didn't call this woman a harlot, or he didn't speak to her in a derogatory or condescending way. He lovingly and compassionately forgave her, and then he warned her to go and sin no more. You know, John 3.16 is an often quoted verse, which says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But as followers of Jesus, we must not forget John chapter 3, verse 17, which says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. It's often easy to become judgmental when we see the sin of the people that do not know Jesus. 
Those that don't know our Lord need compassion, and we must not forget that we too were once dead in our sins and trespasses. And tragically, we often overlook our own sin and the sin of those within the body of Christ. But do you know that judging the sin of the world, it's not what we're supposed to do? It's actually the exact opposite of what we are supposed to be doing? Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, to the right of the Gospel of John, you're going to find the uh, book of 1 Corinthians, if you keep going there. We're going to look at verses 11 through 13, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. It says, But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater, or a reviler, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. For what have I to do with judging those also who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. So Paul was telling the Corinthians here that they needed to judge the sin that was taking place within their own fellowship. We are not to judge the sin of the world. God will take care of that by His Holy Spirit convicting people within their own hearts, just as He did for you and me. The body of Christ today should not be seen as a bunch of judgmental hypocrites like these guys that were ready to stone this woman. The outside world should know us by our love and compassion. And you can study chapters 5 and 6 of 1 Corinthians on your own, but our fellowships need to be cleaned up, and in many cases, they need to be cleaned out. And flipping back to John chapter 8, Jesus commends his love toward this sinful woman, and he then turns toward the religious hypocritical Pharisees, and he says to them in verse 12, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So you see, there's quite a contrast here in these verses. A portion of these hypocrites get convicted and they walk away still in their sin. And a shamed woman gets forgiven of her sin. Do you see that contrast here? We've got to be careful not to allow sin within our fellowships and then point hypocritical uh, fingers at the rest of the world. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus loved the sinners and showed them compassion. And it would do us well to remember where we came from and the forgiveness that was offered to us. Let's look at a story of another sinful woman. Turn to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. And we're going to begin reading in verse 37. It says, And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, 
when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, and stood at his feet behind him weeping, and she began to wash his feet with her tears, and wipe them with the hair of her head, and she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And you know, I wonder how he knew what kind of woman this was. But anyway, verse 40 says, And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. I can just picture the hypocrisy going on within the the mind of this man and then him perking up uh, when Jesus spoke to him. Go ahead, teacher, speak to me. But you know, Jesus knew what he was thinking. And he goes on to say to him, there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, You have rightly judged. Now, as we read these next five verses, Let's do so thinking about how we treat Jesus as he is in our lives, as he is with us in our presence. Verse 44, then he turned to the woman and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Do you realize how much you have been forgiven of? Do you show more judgment to those that are without Christ or do you have compassion toward them? You know, the measure at which you love is a direct result of your understanding of how much you have been forgiven of. And flipping back now to John chapter 8, Jesus tells the Pharisees in verse 12 that he is the light of the world and that those that follow him shall not walk in darkness but have the light of life. But we see in verse 13 that they still have hardened hearts. The Pharisees, it says in verse 13, therefore said to him, You bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. You know, I'm always amazed at how the attitudes that we see in the Bible 
are still prevalent today. People still reject the truth about Jesus. But if not for the love and compassion of the Lord, we would all still be dead in our sins. Not one of us is righteous in and of ourselves. We're not righteous on our own merits. And we need to take the love and the compassion of Jesus to this dying world around us and let them know that God does not condemn condemn them, but rather he loves them. Religion judges and condemns, but God loves the world. And as followers of Jesus, the world should see the love that Jesus has for them shining through us. His love has been shed abroad in our hearts, and and that love should be reflecting out to the world around us. They should see our love for them, and they should especially see our love for each other. If we build our fancy buildings and we have wonderful gatherings, but the world around us does not know the love of Christ, then what are we really? We are like sounding brass or a clanging cymbal, just a bunch of noise. We cannot let this be. I personally wasted years playing church, but I didn't, I don't want, excuse me, the body of abounding love to be that way. I want us to be a body of love and compassion. I really believe that there is an abundance of opportunity outside the doors of our homes and in our places of employment and in the community. The body of Christ is made up of many different body parts, and I think our churches has made for atrophy within our body parts. We've laid on our arms for so long that they've fallen asleep. We need to stop building and attending country clubs and get active as the body of Christ. We can't be like these Pharisees we see in the New Testament. They were living their whole lives waiting for the first coming of the Lord, but they had grown judgmental and hypocritical. Have we done the same thing as we wait for the second coming of Christ? But Jesus continues to try and reach the hardened hearts of these religious leaders. And in verse 14 of John chapter 8, it says, Jesus answered and said to them, Even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from and where I am going. You judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. And yet if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I am with the Father who sent me. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one who bears witness of myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness of me. Then they said to him, Where is your father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my father. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. You see, Jesus didn't need the validation of these men. He was validated by the Father at his baptism when the Father said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. That's the only validation Jesus needed. He didn't need to prove himself to these men, but they would continue to attack him until they would ultimately put him to death. And you know in verse 19 there, where they said to him, Where is your Father? 
They were vicious. They knew the story of his birth. They knew that Mary had her first child out of wedlock and that Joseph was not his father. So I'm sure this was intended as an insult to Jesus. But as much as they wanted to put a stop to Jesus, it wasn't going to happen until the appointed time. Look at verse 20. These words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple and no one laid hands on him for his hour had not yet come. Then Jesus said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Because he says, where I go, you cannot come. And he said to them, you are from beneath I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So here we see another contrast in this chapter. The destiny of Jesus and the destiny of those that do not believe in him. Jesus went on to glory. And they, if they did not repent, they died in their sins. And it's not one bit different today. Believe in Jesus and go on to glory or die a sinner and be separated for all eternity from God the Father. Whether you're a, quote, religious person or not, we all have but one choice to seal our eternity. And there in verse 24, where Jesus said, for if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. That word he should be italicized in your Bible because it was not there in the original manuscripts. It should read as, for if you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Here, Jesus was saying that you must believe that he is God, the great I am. Turn to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus is in the Old Testament, the second book in your Bible. Genesis, then Exodus. And uh, Exodus chapter 3, and we're going to look at verses 13 and 14. It says, Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So flipping back to John chapter 8, Jesus is telling them that they must believe that he is the I am, that he is God. Today, the Mormons and the Jehovah Witnesses and many other cults deny that Jesus is God. And in verse 25, we see that they refuse to believe and they say to him again, Who are you? And Jesus said to them, Just what I have been saying to you from the beginning. They just didn't get it. And today, there are many very nice people that just don't get it. And they will die in their sins for not believing in the Jesus proclaimed in the word of God. Verse 26. 
I have many things to say and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I heard from him. So Jesus had a lot to say to them, but he was only going to speak that which he heard from the Father. Verse 27, they did not understand that he spoke to them of the Father. Then Jesus said to them, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing of myself. But as my Father taught me, I speak these things. When, you see, when Jesus was lifted up and he died on that cross, the sky darkened and the earth quaked and in the temple was a veil that separated the, the temple of meeting from the Ark of the Covenant. It kept God's people from his holy presence. And you can read about that on your own in Exodus chapter 26. But that veil was torn when Jesus died on the cross, symbolizing that the way to God was now open to all. Whosoever will can come into the presence of God by placing their faith in Jesus and the finished work of his cross. So Jesus was making it very plain to them that he is God in the flesh and he will die for the sin of the world and that they must come to him, the fountain of living waters, the bread of life, if they would de desire forgiveness of their sins and eternal life. Verse 29, And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. As he spoke these words, many believed in him. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. You see, Jesus was the purest example of a life that pleased God. You and I and the rest of the world have failed miserably in this life. Only by the blood of Jesus have we been made righteous in the sight of God. Have you come to that place? Have you come to that place of believing in, trusting completely in Jesus? In, if so, then you must continue in his word. Because only then will you know the truth that will make you free. And this freedom that Jesus gives, it's not found in religion. It's not found in man-made establishments. It is only found when we die to ourselves, take up the cross, and follow after Jesus. These Pharisees refuse to let go of the things of their religion. They were comfortable with sinning six days a week and repenting on the seventh day. But we cannot make the same mistake. Now I'll close again today by exhorting you to know Jesus more each and every day. Be a disciple indeed by continuing daily in his word and growing in the grace and in the knowledge of him. Do you know a woman like these women we read about today? 
Well, maybe some of you ladies out there that know Jesus Christ can reach out to someone like that. Maybe some of you men know another man that this world has beaten up. Tell someone about our God of love and grace and let them see Christ in you. Let his love shine through you this week because this world is dying without him. And if you're out there and you're listening and you don't know Jesus, you've not come to that place of salvation. You've not surrendered your life to him. But you're seeing as you go through the word of God, something's tugging at your heart. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, inviting you to come to Jesus. So wherever you are, all I did in my apartment in 1986 was got on my knees and said, Jesus, come into my life and I'll serve you. And for 24 years, I've been following the Lord. And right where you are today, you can do that very thing. If you need any help, you, you need any assistance, you can contact us at info at aloveoutreach.com. That's info at aloveoutreach.com. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to, to pray for you, whatever you need. But grow in the grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus today. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. He loves you just as you are. You can come to him and you can come to know this Jesus that we see of love and compassion throughout the pages of the scriptures. God bless and thanks for listening.